Paul Zarga. I work for Untitled Art Fair. Um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have a conversation today on collecting, specifically fresh perspectives on collecting. This conversation has been organized and in, by With Us Worldwide, which is also the partner that has been supporting all of our conversations, all of our podcast programming at the fair. Um, I'm going to let our moderator properly introduce our panelists. Um, and I'll introduce our moderator, who's James Voorhees, who's the chair of curatorial practice at the CCA school here in San Francisco. Um, but thank you again for joining us. We're going to have a conversation for about 30, 35 minutes, and then we'll switch over um, for some questions. So James, you want to take it over? Okay, thank you, uh, Kamal. And I also just want to start off by saying thanks to Untitled for hosting all the podcasts and these talks, and it's been a real pleasure working with everyone here. Um, today's talk is titled Fresh Perspectives on Collecting, What New Collectors Need to Know. And our panelists are Kimberly Almazan, who is the special counsel at Withers Worldwide and chair of the San Francisco Bar Association's Art Law Section, and Sophia Cannell, who is the regional lead for the San Francisco Bay Area at Phillips, and Paul Becker, who is Art Money founder and CEO. And so we'll probably just get right into it, given that the title is, you know, like fresh, fresh perspectives on collecting what we need to know. And um, it just delve right into like, how is it that we be, you began working with new collectors and like stewarding them into the field of, uh, field of art, both in contemporary art as well as like, um, uh, you know, modern art. And so, Sophia, maybe you can talk a bit about and like how do you begin at first to start working with a new collector? Sure. Um, ooh, <laughs> nice and loud. Um, so I think, you know, in my job there are varying, I hit collectors at varying points in their sort of evolution to collecting. Um, and at the early stage, I think it's just really important to um, cultivate and to establish um, kind of a, a a baseline for education. Um, and to do that, just start really by seeing a lot, um, to look, to go to museum shows, to go to openings, to go to galleries, to go to the auction previews, um, because you only learn by looking and seeing. And the more that you see, the more you train your eye and you kind of can sort of start to hone your taste and your aesthetic. Um, collecting is highly personal, and I think that's something to really take to heart. Um, I know the art world can seem really intimidating and the conversation can often start way up here above people's heads, but at the end of the day, it's a highly visual um, object, really, and you have to love what you're looking at and want to and wanna live with it. Um, so seeing a lot, I would say, is a good place to start. And in terms of an advisory role, like, do you, do you advise them to see exhibitions? Do you go with them to see exhibitions or? Definitely. I think, and it's, you know, this, this can take years, but I think just starting by attending, attending shows, going to various gallery openings. I also think joining a museum group is a great, um, a great kind of anchoring point um, because there's a ton to learn there. It's basically like a knowledge hub. Um, we have a great one here in our backyard at SFMOMA. Their contemporary circle is a good example. Um, but just educating yourself and getting it smart on what's out there, seeing as much as you can, um, and talking to people, engaging. I think one thing that's for sure and that all of you guys would agree 
is um, anyone who's passionate about art is very willing to talk to you about it and engage with you and share their knowledge with you and kind of geek out with you to a degree. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, don't be afraid to just ask. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul, you're, you're, uh, you support from a financial perspective of, of collecting, but you're also on the front lines in many ways, interfacing with the potential for new collectors. Like, what are some of the advice that you give, or, or how do you interact with someone who's just coming into the, the field of collecting? Yeah, hi, thanks. I'm Paul from Art Money. So, we see our role as empowering people to engage with art and empowering people to actually buy art because when you, when you start, the art world is this scary, intimidating place. And it is overwhelming, and it's hard to know where to start. And I echo Sophia's thoughts about the first thing to do is look. And coming to an art fair is a great place to do that, because you can see a lot of stuff in a short space of time. It's social, you can come with a friend, you can have a drink, you can talk about things, you can laugh at things. So I think the social aspect is important, the seeing lots of things is important. Engaging with people and talking to people, if you can meet the artist, is really important. That's a really, uh, that's a bit of an industry secret. That for me, art is about storytelling and the story behind the work changes that work from an inanimate object on a wall to have a story, and that's something you can feel or something you can get excited about or something that can change your mind on things. So having conversations, finding out the story behind things, doing that in a social, uh, interesting way is the first step, you know. Looking, you can look on Instagram, you can go to fairs, you can go to events, you can go to openings. Most of these things are free. So there's a lot of ways you can engage that are really sort of just easy to start and they're time efficient. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of encourage that, we support that in the business at a certain point, we want to expose people to new galleries, new artists, new things. So part of our business is about engagement. I mean, people don't buy unless they're already engaged. But to me, it's we want to take people further than just looking. We want them to be excited about enough about art. Mm -hmm. And once you start going down this journey, you just do get excited because that's what happens when you see things and you talk to people. You just start to discover this amazing world. And then part of that is you want to engage further by buying art and supporting artists and supporting the galleries and the ecosystem around that. Mm -hmm. And you start going down these amazing journeys. And we, in our business role, Art Money, we just basically empower people to help go down that journey that we want them to go down and that they want to go down themselves um, and support the artist in in that and so that's you know we don't really have an advisory role but we have a, a role in trying to help people wherever they are in their collecting journey whether it's beginning to the end but everyone's got to start somewhere and that's really important to take that first step yeah I mean it's one of the things that makes it so unique in the art world because it is like the object as one thing but the object that's tethered so closely to the social and the object that is tethered so much to the relationships and a sort of network uh, among among a number of different people within the world of art. And so, Kim, I can imagine in your capacity also 
you, there's a real difference in terms of like your relationships that you have with, with um, collectors who are just entering the field as well as like collectors who are uh, seasoned and have been around. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, about how you steward each of those relationships. Sure. So um, from a legal perspective, I think our role is more of a protector. We like to protect the assets that people have and make sure that if they're going to be spending a lot of money on something, they don't potentially face a lawsuit down the road. So what we like to do, usually people come to us because they, maybe they're a new collector, but they know that they want to start collecting in a serious manner. And so what we'll do is say, why are you collecting? So some people, it's because they want to create a legacy for their children. And if that's the case, we'll talk about estate planning at the outset. Or for others, maybe they want it to be an investment. So we'll focus on tax planning. We can create entities where you can hold on to a piece for a long time. Um, we can create entities where you can flip pieces and they're very tax efficient. So we can make sure that, that you're protected in that manner. Um, some people, new collectors, like to focus on one region. And so legal questions will come up surrounding cultural heritage laws. We want to make sure that if you're going to be buying from some country, you don't face a lawsuit later from someone in that country saying that you, you know, misappropriated the work or you took it when you shouldn't have. So, um, so I, I think our role, like I said, is more protecting the asset and making sure that if you're going to become a collector, you do it in a manner that keeps it safe. Um, but to your point of talking to new collectors versus more established collectors, I think that's an interesting point because one thing that we talk to a lot of our established collectors about is using your collection as collateral. And that's something that we don't always talk to new collectors about, but I think we should be because it's informing people about the possibilities of their collection. So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, what you can do is have a loan with a bank where the bank will um, take a security interest in your work of art or in your collection. Um, and then they'll give you money based on that piece's value. And then you can use that money to do whatever you want. You can invest it in your business. You can buy more art. Um, and it's really a win-win situation for, for everybody. Um, and it's a creative way to use your collection um, and get the value out of it while it's still sitting on your wall, as it always has been. So, so I think it's important for people to know what kind of creative options are out there with your collection, even if you're a new collector. It's something to think about. I mean, and with regard to trends in collecting, like, um, I'm curious how you advise uh, collectors, both those coming in to collecting and those who have been around to, like, respond to trends or not. And maybe any of you could, like, to speak to, like, what are the trends right now in, in, terms, of, in terms of collecting and in terms of, of what's being purchased? Well, I'm the anti-trend person. I hate trends, and I kind of like to be counterintuitive with everything. So I actually believe that Art is this incredibly personal thing and art says something about who you are and your lifestyle and so on. And I think if you're the kind of person that follows trends in fashion or follows trends in other areas of your life, you'll, you'll be a trend follower. But art has this amazing ability to just express something about yourself. And so personally, I'd like to think art's a great vehicle for ignoring trends and not going with the flow. Now, if we're talking about starting your journey, then have a look and see what speaks to you, see what resonates, see what you like, and go for that, and ignore the trends. If you're kind of towards the other end as a collector, then you're, a lot of what you're doing is around investment, and then sure, you've got to know what the trends are going on, otherwise you're going to you know, not be better off financially. But I think when you start, 
for me, it's about uh, expressing your own personality and making your own connections and connecting with uh, the artist that, whose work says something about you or vice versa. So it's... Um, I'm, I'm the anti-trend kind of trend guy, but uh, yes. <laughs> but the reality of it is people are following trends and they're, they're coming into the field because of something that's piquing their interest or something that might be in the zeitgeist right now. And it is one way to sort of pull them in and become part of something. So I'm, I'm curious... Like even more like what? Why would someone want to come in, into the field or be pulled into the field of of, of collecting right now, like in terms of trends? Um, I think one thing to to just say is the art market, like most other markets, is driven by supply and demand, right? So as many blue chip masterworks, there's a finite supply of those, and as those are housed in many of the world's greatest museums and institutions around the world and they become harder to access for private mm -hmm. collectors, those collectors need to look elsewhere and start to get creative and diversify. And so that has sort of shifted where people look and where they look are these undervalued markets. So what we're seeing in the art market now, um, you know, for example, Pablo Picasso's market, like his 1960s paintings used to be really not in favor. Um, but as some of the more coveted ones became increasingly rare and the 60s paintings were a bit more readily available, you buy those because that's what, you know, that's what's there. Um, I think what we're seeing now, too, is a trend to kind of spotlight some of those other underrepresented markets. Um, it's interesting, if you actually think of the, well, my personal favorite Three, my three favorite shows up locally right now are Soft Power at SF MoMA. If anyone hasn't seen, you should. It's 20 international artists from around the world. Um, Soul of a Nation at the De Young, Art in the Age of Black Power, that started at the Brooklyn Museum, went to the Broad, and it's now here in San Francisco, and I think it looks the best at the De Young. Um, and then finally, Jordan Castile down at Stanford at the Canner Arts Center young painter, 31 years old, African-American. So those three shows, I think, are really um, indicative of what the market is, what the art world is spotlighting right now and what the market is favoring, right? Um, and if you look in my world, in the auction world, at some of the prices that have been achieved in the last few years, record prices for contemporary painters Mark Bradford and Carrie James Marshall, um, for Cuban-American artist Carmen Herrera, Japanese artist Yayoi Kusama, um, American painter Pat Steer, all women painters. Um, and then, uh, you know, even more nuanced than that, within the abstract expressionist school, the classics like Rothko and Clifford Still, um, and de Kooning, their female counterparts, Joan Mitchell, and Lee Krasner, their auction records, you know, were just achieved in the last um, 2018 and 19. Mm -hmm. So, and there's still a ton of opportunity in those markets. So I guess what I'm saying is it's, people are starting to look to try and find those areas of opportunity yeah. to buy. I have a slightly different perspective on the trend question. Um, so from where we sit, what we see is that a lot of the new collectors, they want to collect contemporary art because 
legally, there aren't authenticity issues surrounding that. You don't have to worry that you're going to buy a piece that has some sort of Nazi war loot history or something like that. Um, and I think that's contributing to the contemporary art market becoming so hot, which Sophia knows very well. I think Phillips had its best year in the last year or two. So, so that's sort of the trend that we're seeing. And I think that relates to a lot of the talk about blockchain that everyone's been talking about for the last two years. I mean, to have this digital currency where you can see this transaction for a work of art and everyone who's touched it makes people feel a lot more comfortable about buying contemporary art. Um, so, so that's kind of the trend that we see with the new collectors. I mean, with regard to that, though, like contemporary artists, um, the relationship and the social, going back to the earlier topic, um, is so important within contemporary art. So it's one thing to buy an object by a contemporary artist, but also like to have access to them and to visit their studios. And they're also young collectors or, or new collectors as well as mature collectors become part of a, a social circle that radiates around or within that, um, that artist and so forth. I mean, can you talk a little bit about, about the social aspect and how it, how it informs like trends or how it maybe informs your advising? Yeah, well, I would say the contemporary arcade is so hot because that's where people start. You want to start with artists of your own time. And if you're young and just starting to be interested in art, you want to, you want to collect people of your own time. You want to engage with them. You want to meet them. And you want to see, are they crazy dudes? Or are they... <laughs> language warning. Okay, so, you know, but... The, you want to you want to feel it. You want to be with it. You want to be part of it. It is a social thing. It, it's the art buyers who have turned into collectors that I know. This this absorbs their life. I mean, this is a journey that starts with a little bit of interest and a touch point. And to your point before, this is so much more than an object on a wall. And it's by having that social engagement, by meeting the artist, by understand what they're saying and agreeing vehemently or not with them or disagreeing vehemently, that you start to go down this journey. And the end of that journey is this lifestyle that is completely uh, subsuming. And then that's why collectors at the end of their journey, they're so passionate about things and, and that opens up. It, it, is, it is their life, you know? They become uh, obsessed, addicted. It's, um, so you, you don't get that, I don't think. You know, nobody starts by buying a Picasso or very rare people, you know. So you start with the art of your own times and the people of your own times and the social milieu of your own times in your own, you know, whether that's local or the city or whatever. So, so I think that's, that's really, you know, that social, that storytelling, what's behind the scenes, meeting the artists, that, that's a critical part of being in the art world. Agree. Can I piggyback on that? Um, I think one of the reasons why I'm most grateful to work in the auction world is I've had the privilege of seeing some of the greatest collections ever amassed come to market. And um, in doing that, when we take on a, a, a sale like that, we have a duty to kind of surface the story and really drill into the visionary or visionaries behind those collections. Like, who were those people as collectors? Who were they talking to at the time? Why were they gravitating towards the things that they were? Um, and many of them, it's just like Paul's saying, I mean, they, they knew the artists personally. They were in the studios, in Warhol's studio, you know, buying the little Coke bottle screen print. Um, it's, it's highly personal. And I think that looking at some of those marquee collections has definitely informed how I 
my husband and I approach collecting together. Um, and um, anyway, sorry, I got distracted. So I uh, agree. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. I agree with everything that you both said, but I wonder if that's changing because one of the things that we're seeing now is the bigger galleries are doing these digital viewing rooms. And I think historically what had happened is that to be in the art world, you had to live in a social circle where people went to galleries or went to art fairs or you had to be on the board of the trustees at some museum. But now I think the process is becoming more democratized. So these galleries are having these viewing rooms that have their own exhibitions, they have their own schedules, and I think they're trying to reach collectors in places where these galleries don't have a physical presence, like here in San Francisco or Houston or Toronto. So I do think that this the, the collecting world is becoming more democratized, and I don't think you necessarily have to be living in the world to be a collector. Sure, although I would say that the viewing room is just a distribution channel, the same as a gallery space is a distribution channel or an art fair is a distribution channel, and that nobody's going to the Zawerno viewing room and paying $2 million for work unless they've probably met the artist or seen the work or had a relationship with Zawerno or Gagosian or whoever it is. I think those are necessary preconditions to set up that purchase, so I don't think that's happening in a vacuum, but I think it is a sign of the art world being democratised, that there is more transparency and that it's not just an exclusive club for a few people. And I feel that's, personally, I feel that's really important because I think there are less and less now, but there have been a few people in the art world that like to make things non-transparent and only open to the few. And I think that suits a few people with their own limited agenda, but I think that holds the art world back and, hold, and stops it from growing. So I think those are great signs of yes, the democratisation, the transparency of information that's available now. Um, I still believe, personally, that the social aspect and the understanding, learning, engaging aspects is a prerequisite for that kind of purchase that you've described. I mean, I think it, what you say opens up a lot of questions in terms of, like, stewarding young, new collectors um, into a kind of long-game commitment to the art world. And then... Also, something that comes up from what you were saying to, to my mind are two things. One is collecting in depth and the role and responsibilities that um, a collector feels they have or not to collect in depth, particularly around contemporary art. And if you are collecting in depth, then you also are supporting an artist uh, along their path and, and through the ups and downs of what that might look like in terms of the, in terms of the, the production of the content. And then also the le legacy, like where does the collection go and, and, and how is it being shared? And maybe Kim, you might be able to t talk a, li a little bit about that, like the advising of, of, a, of a legacy in terms of placement because other trends that are happening is like the, the, the private museum that is replacing the collection that once went to the public museum. And, and not that that's a bad thing, but it is something that we, we observe in terms of how people are leaving their legacy and sharing the, the, the collection. Sure. So a lot of our collectors will have an estate plan where they bequeath the works of art to their children, but a lot of them worry about that too because they worry, are, are my children going to fight over certain pieces? How do I make sure that I maintain the peace and the family. Um, and a lot of times the children are just not interested in the art. They're not interested in the art market. They, the, the parents know that as soon as 
they pass away, the kids are just going to sell the art and they don't want that to happen. So I think some of the most rewarding situations for us are, are those in which we help collectors create a private museum with these works of art rather than giving them to their children who might not be interested. And it's a really great project because a lot of times these people are obviously so passionate about their collections and it gives them this, this ability to not only create a private museum, um, but hire a curator, figure out where everything's going to be hung, look at the lighting, make sure it's perfect. And it, it's really rewarding, not just for them, but for us to help them get there. So I think it's, it's a nice way for collectors to, you know, once you're more established and you, uh, you're thinking about the philanthropy aspect of it, reaching other people and keeping your collection as a whole so other people can enjoy it. Um, something else that came up to my to my mind was like uh, in terms of like legacy or the longevity of the collection also is time-based or ephemeral work or performance and I'm just curious like where that comes in even like for Paul like how, how where, where do you, how to advise and to like well I think if you're passionate about art and collecting and that you know is not necessarily where you start but where you end up if you're passionate about it the kind of art form doesn't matter and in fact the more you get into it, the more you want to challenge yourself. And I've met quite a number of collectors who are very much into their journey and their badge of honour is, this was really challenging. It took me months to get into this work, but I, now I'm into it and they probably paid half a million dollars for it. But, so you, you start to use it as a vehicle for challenging yourself and your own understanding, your perception of the world. So therefore, whether it's time-based or ephemeral or video or... Uh, a challenging medium, I don't, I, that's actually part of the challenge of collecting, you know, that, that you sort of just push yourself further and further. Um, and again, it says something about who you are if suddenly you're not just buying pretty pictures or obvious modernist work that you're starting to collect this work which nobody else understands and that's an opportunity to share what the story is to, to people that don't understand it. So I don't know that the work is, is critical to the collecting journey, it's, it's just about how people develop on, on that journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, have one, I have one more topic before we close up, and uh, Kim, you alluded earlier to technology and the way technology is being used inside galleries to introduce work to collectors, but I'm also curious about the role of social media um, in, in collecting and how that, uh, that, commu that massive communication powerful communication tool uh, is used and, and impacts like collectors who are just beginning to come into the field. You, you guys might have a different perspective on this, but from, from where I said, I think social media is interesting because, um, you know, historically what, what would happen is that an artist would have a relationship with a gallery and there would be some sort of agreement there um, and the, the artist couldn't go to other galleries or it couldn't sell his or her works of art to so just anyone on the street, the, the, you know, the gallery that had the representation would get a cut of that. But now with social media, it's really easy for artists to reach more people and to sell things directly. And so that's a tension that we're seeing in the legal world between the artist and the gallery. And, and I don't think it's fully been worked out yet, but it's interesting because it's opening up a new avenue for collectors, but I think it's making things a little bit um, more difficult for the gallery and artist relationship. That's such a legal response, Kim. <laughs> Very appropriate. <laughs> you sort of had two questions in there. One's about tech and one's about social media. Now, I see them as separate things, but if we're talking about social media, then 
really what we're talking about in the art world is Instagram because the art world is obsessed and in love with Instagram. And uh, it's everything from social media is going to kill the whole art world. Nobody needs to come to the gallery anymore because they see it all on Instagram. Nobody needs to look at anything. That's at one extreme. And the other extreme is, wow, suddenly we've just opened up our reach to millions of people, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, and artists have opened up their reach. So, and I think both of those things are true. I kind of see, uh, personally I see it as a good thing that art can get out to more people, and then I think the structures and the channels and the partnerships are still there for a reason, and social media is a tool at the end of the day, a tool to be used in, in achieving different objectives. And so, for example, I'm a believer in the gallery system, and I believe that no matter how many artists are on Instagram and how many people they reach, the gallery system provides a, a creative filter and, and says, we believe these artists are going to go to the next level and one day end up in a museum, perhaps, and these artists aren't. And so, in a marketplace structure, you can have artists that are unrepresented and they can still work, sell work on Saatchi art, for example, and have a commercial outcome there, which is a great thing, I think. And then you can have artists that are represented by galleries. Uh, and then you've got the next tier of, you know, represented by the mega galleries or having museum shows or going to biennales. And I think at all levels, the role of the artist in reaching an audience and telling their stories on social media works. I don't necessarily believe that um, it stops the the structure of the industry from working. I, I, th I think it helps. And yes, I meet lots of galleries that say, oh, artists that can go, go and sell work directly now. Well, they always could. Okay, now they can reach more people. But I still believe you're going to be better off represented by a gallery. And if a gallery believes that about an artist, we'll go and represent them. So I, I, personally, I think social media, anything that allows art to reach more people is a good thing. Agree. I think it's only an amplifier, right? It's a highly visual platform promoting a highly visual medium. I think it's interesting to see how different artists approach it um, in terms of exposing personal life uh, and activity or just putting up images of their work. And it doesn't seem to be any a, a singular uh, model that is applied universally. And it's really interesting to see how people choose to give a, a kind of more intimate perspective or not into the art making process or the life. Sure, agreed. And, and I, I have this notion of artist as entrepreneur and I think if you're an artist today and you want to make it as a professional, then you need to be, well not need to be, but most people need to be quite entrepreneurial about that. And that is having your own platform and having your own followers and so on. And some artists are good at that and some aren't good at that. That's fine. And some are about lifestyle and social pics and some are just more about their work. But that doesn't mean that because you're active on social media that you're critically acclaimed. I mean, they're very two very separate things. And so as in every other industry, you can have some high-profile personality type creatives. They're not necessarily the ones that are critically acclaimed. So as long as we kind of understand that just because someone's good at self-promotion, which mm -hmm. I feel is a prerequisite for success, but just because they're good at that doesn't mean that the work is good. And they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're two very different things. And maybe we sometimes have to have a more conscious filter about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there, are there any just last thoughts that you might have in terms of like, um, you know, advising 
individuals who are just getting into well, the Just, just going the back to the beginning and the theme of the talk, which is sort of starting collecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I even have an issue with the word collecting sometimes because I think it puts people off. But I think if you are at the very beginning of the journey, if you're just starting to get exposed to this world, then go and look, ask questions. It's not as intimidating as it first appears. And people, as Sophia said, people love to talk about it. Um, so just take the first step. Take the first step. Get into it. Don't worry about it. There's no right or wrong with art. That's a great thing about art. Even if you think you don't know anything, I often think I don't know anything about art, but I'm kind of confident enough to know that I don't have to like everything. So just just get into it and, and take that first step and develop your self-confidence and taste by having a look. I think that's the hardest thing is to take that first step. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. All right. Um, well, on behalf of Untitled, Sophia, Kim, Paul, we really want to thank you for participating in this panel. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah.